Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Estás escuchando Échale Podcast, a podcast where we embrace our Latinidad. The good, the bad, the ugly. You love English? Te encanta el español? Well, we got a whole lot of Spanglish. A storytelling podcast. And like my mom used to say, Échale, mijo, que tú puedes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Échale Podcast. My name is Jose Quintero, and I'm very excited today because we have back on the podcast. We had her back when it was Salud Podcast, but now we're having her first time on Echale Podcast. Uh, I'm excited to bring on Linda Garcia, which we will be talking about her new book, The Wealth Warrior, that you can go ahead and pre-order now. Linda, buenos días, buenas tardes, ¿cómo estás? How are you? I'm doing really good. Thank you so much for, for speaking to me again. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, no, obviously it's been a whole year since we had a conversation and I'm just so proud and I can honestly say like you are one of the few people that is not a gatekeeper of information when I'm on social media and as somebody who's going through their financial journey and, you know, looking towards other Latinos and other people who I can identify with, Linda, you're definitely one person that I turn to and I'm like, okay, I know I can trust her. So thank you for that. Thank you. That means so much to me. I think that's definitely our intention is to be extremely transparent, to divulge as much information as we can, to encourage, to uplift, to show folks that this is our space too, and we can take advantage of the system um, as well. And so I appreciate that that's coming through. Yeah. So in this episode, just so and everybody who's listening and is probably meeting you for the very first time, we're going to go ahead and talk about, you know, financial tips, three things that three mistakes that people probably do that they probably shouldn't be doing. We're going to go ahead and talk about your book, how you're helping the Latino community become more financially literate. But just to give everybody a little bit of a background of who Linda is, she is a self-made entrepreneur who literally started her I mean, you were born and raised in Texas, but then you moved to Los Angeles, if I'm not mistaken. Go ahead and correct me because I always get that yeah, wrong. So, yeah, don't worry, because I feel like everyone is like, you're from Texas. I'm actually from Southern California. I was born in San Clemente and I grew up in San Juan Capistrano. But then I moved to Texas at 12 years old, moved back to mm. California at 27 and then moved back to Texas at 39. So soy de allí y de acá. <laughs> you know? I love it. I love it. Very Mexican populated areas, very Latino uh, uh, diverse. But Linda, you actually, one of the things that really inspired me was the fact, and we're going to go ahead and just tell your story a little bit more, is that you had a really rough childhood because you grew up as a single, single mother. You went out of the house at the age of 15. I'm if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong over here. I'm just kind of recollecting my memory and based on what I already know of you. Yeah, clo very close, very close. I did have a really rough upbringing. Uh, my, my mom has some mental health issues. 
Um, my father was then became sober. So he was an alcoholic in the early years of my life. So there was a lot of trauma in the household. I did leave, um, stopped living with my mom at 12 years old and then stopped living with my dad and my parents at 13 years old, became a mother at 14. I was in gangs. It was really dark uh, experience, a lot of trial and tribulation, a lot of growing up really fast. Um, Yeah, so it was tough. No, I can only imagine how tough that was for you. And thank you for sharing that. And I'm assuming that the root of your money wound stems from um, your family. So I want to go ahead and ask you, what was the first recollection of money that you have in your mind? Yeah, so it was more of an experience. I uh, I watched my parents work extremely hard. They worked multiple jobs to earn a living. Like my mom worked at a fabrica at night. She was also, she cleaned houses. She was also a babysitter. And then in the evening, she would cook tacos, take them to the fabrica where she would work at night and sell them during the lunchtime. My dad was working at like Carl's Jr. and then just multiple restaurants wherever he could get a job. And so that was, I understood the necessity to work extremely hard. And I remember not having a lot of food growing up. Like we always had tacos de papa. So it was those experiences that taught me that like we couldn't even afford beans because it was cheaper to buy a sack of potatoes than to buy beans. Um, And uh, so it just lasted longer and the volume helped fill us faster. So my Mm. mom was really like, Uh, strategic in that way, you know, she's the original wealth warrior. Um, And so just like watching them work really hard. And then for the first time, seeing an abundance of juices, they went to the store called Gemco, which was like a target before target existed. And I'd never seen an abundance of these little juices that were just like fructose syrup. Um, And I remember feeling really guilty in school and preschool that we had so many juices because I'd never seen that many that I invited all of my little preschool friends to come over and drink the juice. Mm. And my parent, I was a latchkey kid. My parents didn't say anything. But the second day I got in really big trouble and my parents were like, we don't have money for you to be sharing juice like this. Like we, we don't have this money for you to be doing that. And I was so confused because I was like, well, there's an abundance. Like I don't need it all. Like I can share. Um, and so that was my first understanding of like scarcity, mm-hmm. not sharing what you have and kind of hoarding. Um, yeah. So that was like really impactful for me growing up. And you were how old at that time? I was probably like four. (laughs) Wow. And it's so interesting because studies have shown that uh, money is very cemented uh, strongly by the age of seven. You already kind of know how you want to go about the world and handling your money by the age of seven. So I find that interesting that at four years old. So I'm sure that scarcity or that hoarding kind of later led to some of these money wounds that later came out in in, as you started healing from these money wounds. Yeah, absolutely. As you started getting older, um, you said at the age of 12, you left your mom's house 13. How was that financially for you? Did you have a place to go? Did you go to a friend's grandparents house? 
Yeah, I went to Athea's house. So I was staying at Athea's house. And I remember that my dad was giving my aunt, I want to say $20 a week to care for me. Um, My dad had made a decision that I couldn't live with him. I left my mom to live with my dad in Texas. And my we got broken into, his apartment got broken into, and my dad was like, you're home most of the time. Like, this isn't safe. So I went to go live with an aunt and um, he would give her $20. So I was well taken care of in that space. I was just, I think I was missing my parents and my own personal structure. Um, So that's when I kind of like was out in the streets being really like not doing good things, doing really bad things, obviously. And then I had the transition of getting pregnant. My aunt saying like, you can't live here. My dad saying, Mm -hmm. if you're going to have this child, then you're no longer going to carry my last name. He gave me an ultimatum. He wanted me to um, like end the to terminate. And I knew it was going to be hard. And it wasn't like, I'm excited to be a mom, like 16 and pregnant wasn't a thing. It wasn't cool um, back then. And, but I just made a personal choice. I'm pro-choice and I made the choice that this is the way I wanted to proceed. And I had to face whatever came my way. And so it wasn't until then that I really understood, wow, things are really going to be hard. And to not have parents support for things like shampoo or just basic things that you really don't think about at 13 years old, like toothpaste and toothbrush, or you want, you know, I don't know. You just mm-hmm. want little things like that that are basic necessities. I, I realized like it's going to be hard. So I started working as early as I could. Uh, I began working to try and like meet those specific needs, basic needs. Yeah. You mentioned that all you ever wanted or you needed was your parents there at some point once you had your daughter. Did you feel like, okay, this is me trying to break that cycle of I want my daughter to grow up with the family? Or did you feel the sense of like protecting this child because you felt you didn't really feel protected by both parents? You know, I think I fell into a pattern that I witnessed my parents fall into. Mm -hmm. I wish I would have been maybe more intelligent to to look at things and try to change them per se, but I fell into the pattern of overworking. So watching Mm -hmm. my mom have four jobs, like I, that's how I showed up is I had multiple jobs continuously to try and like pay for things like my cap and gown and a babysitter and all diapers and all of those things. So I fell into that. I wasn't in a place to approach life different. I got to do that with my son who's now um, about to be seven. So I got to rectify that, but I fell into just work mode, working hard for money, which is another layer of money scarcity. And yeah. yeah. Did you ever feel that as you got money, like obviously in your banking account, it was easier for it to go than for it to stay? Oh yeah. I could never, ever keep money in my, like in my possession ever. I knew exactly what it was like to live paycheck to paycheck. I was constantly 
Um, like I knew that I needed to make purchases and that was going to come with an overdraft fee. Like that's how I was operating. I was all, I could, I wasn't even paycheck to paycheck. I was short like by Wednesday before Friday hit. And I knew that everything after that was going to have an overdraft fee. And then I discovered credit cards and Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that was not good as well. So yeah, I was in deep scarcity, never being able to hold or amass. Yeah. So at what point in your life did you become uh, a little bit more on the I'm not living paycheck to paycheck? Because at some point and we're going to get to um, Netflix because you used to work for Netflix. And I think that's where the start of your financial journey kind of began. But at what point was that for you? Like, okay, you know what? I'm not living paycheck to paycheck, but I'm also not earning enough to buy like the new house that I want, because I feel like that's the reality for a lot of people. They're not living paycheck to paycheck, but they're like, okay, well, I have $200, $300 left over 400, maybe 500. So like, what do I, what do I do with that? Like, was that ever in your? Yeah. So for me, it was very much the experience of, I started to accomplish really incredible things. And I have to be completely honest in saying, and, I, and I'm saying this not to be boastful, but just so that folks can understand the confidence I had in myself as a teen mom, as a former gang member, not being with my parents. I always knew that I was going to quote unquote make it. I didn't exactly know what that was going to look like, but I was so determined to become somebody and to not allow for my current circumstances, what my tias would say about me, not being allowed to hang out with my cousins, what society would say about me. I was determined to completely disprove that and that there's value in every single human being, no matter what they've gone through, no matter what they're experiencing, because I I was discarded from my family and that was really hard process. So it's almost like that experience fueled my fire of like, watch this type thing. Um, But when it came to money, that was where my biggest pain point was. So what I learned really quickly is like, wow, I'm manifesting incredible things. And I was already using words like manifesting in the early 2000s, late 1990s. Uh, So I was really ahead of understanding my personal power and what people refer to as new age. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like working at a movie studio at Lionsgate. I was traveling with top tier talent. I was like on planes with Will Ferrell. I was having dinner with Diego Luna, Gael Garcia, like having all of these incredible experiences. But I was 32 years old, Jose, and I'm still freaking living paycheck to paycheck. I'm making $13 an hour. And at this point, I'm getting pissed. Like now I'm pissed because... Wait, you're making $13 an hour traveling with these top tier talent? Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. Okay. And I'm like, what is happening? Like why, why am I in having these incredible experiences, but I'm not getting financially compensated? And so I started to, to like become a rebel in the space of like, fuck this, like screw this system. Like I can't be 32 years old out here creating an entire carving out an entire um, department at a startup 
uh, studio that is part of Lionsgate entity. Like they sold me with the whole we're bootstraps, you know, mm-hmm. you know, all that BS. These yeah, people have would- money. Of course. And what, why were they underpaying you? And obviously, I, I don't know what role you had. Were you like a manager? You said you were building up a whole team. $13 an hour in Los Angeles seems very much underpaid. And especially if you don't know your value as a person. Absolutely. It was all the budget. Yeah, it was like, that's all we have in our budget. And I think that was very, it was a direct reflection of the industry for Latines, you know, we're the first major Latino Hollywood studio. They really turned on the we're a family, like we're giving you this opportunity. You, there's only, the Latino card. yeah, 1000%, 1000%. And there was only four of us and we were doing everybody's job. And they got me with that. But then I was like, I got, like I said, I got angry and I rebelled and um, I started having conversations with our accountant Mm. at the company. And he was like low key, like feeding me like a little bit of knowledge. Like you can, like, you're so intelligent. Look at everything you've done. You could go somewhere else. Like you're very underpaid. And I knew that, but he was also telling me like, it's not going to get better. Like, So I'm over here thinking I'm working hard, hard, hard. I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to get more money. And he's very clearly telling me it's not going to get better. Um, And so he actually helped me submit my resume to someone at Netflix. Mm. Um, And uh, they interviewed me. I went through seven rounds of interviews. It was the most grueling interview process ever. And one of the interviews was with like the VP who was right hands with Reed Hastings. So that's how mm-hmm. much like the process was so intense. Uh, and that is when my mind began to shift. Like I understood, I understood two things. This was pre House of Cards, pre Orange is the New Black. Um, but they had just sent out a press release that they acquired Orange is the New Black. And I had a really intelligent colleague at Pantelion Films where I used to work. And he really helped me see the landscape of what this could potentially mean. And Mm -hmm. that now Netflix wasn't only competing with the television. Now Netflix and Blockbuster, who they took out, wiped out. But that now Netflix could potentially be competing with movie studios. And when he walked me through that, it was just like my mind was blown. And I understood that I was in this really crazy space that was like tech and entertainment and that my life had the potential to change because now I was potentially about to be hired by a tech company. So you went from $13 an hour to how much an hour or salary base? Yeah, so I went from $13 an hour to $75,000 a year, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds much it, – it, it was a complete lifestyle change. You know, I mean, in terms of like I didn't have to eat beans anymore and Trader Joe's wine, like split a yeah. $199 wine bottle with my roommates. I didn't have to have roommates anymore. Um, that was also a massive change. But what was more important was the environment I was walking into because with a with a tech company, money is like water. It flows yeah. like water, literally. Like 
these people have grandiose ideas and these wealthy men, just how much money do you need? And if you say, I only need a hundred thousand, they're like, Oh, I don't, I'm not interested in you. Like they're like, ask me for millions, you know? Uh -huh. Like Shark Tank is play money, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh my God. So yeah. I, yeah. So I started to experience that, like breakfast in the morning, refrigerators and pantries fully stocked, catered lunch every lunch. Like I was in a completely different world from $13 an hour. You can't have anything. Like you get the drinking fountain if you're lucky. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, to this other world. And so I started to really absorb by osmosis. Um, and it was really life changing. And they also had a culture deck, which is public. So anyone can see the Netflix culture deck. And one of the things that impacted me in that culture deck was that um, the company, one of the ways to increase your pay from the way I understood it is you have to go and interview and get someone to give you more money, like to hire mm. you, like, you know, I, I have an offer for this amount of money. So my colleague, um, a, a few of my colleagues, um, that's what I'm going to say. We'll keep it at that. Yeah. We got together and we started asking the men how much money they made. And wow. we were on the lower end of the spectrum. They did share. So we were on the lower end, of course. So um, they weren't no, they, they, yeah, they told then us. They were like bragging. They were like, oh, we make this much sort of, or did it feel like that? Um, no, I think they felt shame. They felt ashamed because oh. I, especially for me, I did do a lot of heavy lifting. I probably had the most heavy lifting out of everyone on my team. And so I think there was a level of shame because they didn't do as much heavy lifting as I did. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, at least I know how much I can potentially make and it mm -hmm. doesn't stop at 75. So within months of working there, I went out um, to people that I knew in the TV industry. And this is what people got. This is how we get raises, y'all. You get yeah. your connections, you go to your connections, and there's this energetic understanding, how much are you going to offer me? I came back with two company, two connections that were bidding against each other. So I kept having them raise and they went to a hundred thousand dollars. And I came back to my boss and I was like, yeah, I was like, I got a hundred thousand dollar offer real quick. Okay. We'll match that. We'll get it to you on your next paycheck. I wow. mean, just like that. And so within months I had a $25,000 raise. So you can see already this takes a different set of mind shift though it's not luck it's not destiny it's not any of those things it is so, me go ahead no i was like so basically what you're saying for those people who are are listening it's like you went to other companies and basically applied and whatnot they made you an offer and you took that offer back to your like the company that you were working with which is netflix hey i'm doing a lot of the heavy lifting they're offering me this much money. Can you match it or give me more? Right. So that's mm -hmm. essentially what you did, because at the end of the day, they don't want to lose somebody as valuable as you. Yes. So they matched. And that was when my money mindset started expanding. Like that is when I started to understand it. it there was a lot that was clicking into place. One of the first things was in that culture deck, aside from like 
you know, we want to see what your market value is. So if you have a higher market value, then that's what you present to us. Aside from that, they were also very clear in that Mm -hmm. if we're not a family, we are a sports team and you're either an A player or you're not on this team. Oh, you're not even simple. (laughs) Yeah. It's like everybody's got to be Kobe. If you're not Kobe, then that's it. You're not playing for us. And when I – that clicked for me right away and it made me lose emotional ties to my employer and look at everything from a strategy. And I realized how much I had been manipulated in my previous jobs with the whole family aspect of things. And yeah, it was a big shift. When was that shift? Because obviously now you're making more money. And at some point you're probably like, okay, I just got a hundred thousand dollars, uh, in my bank account. Like that's, that's how much I'm going to get paid a year. How soon can I ask for 125? How soon can I get to 200? Was there a level of multiplication going on in your head? You're like, okay, well, I probably need to wait X amount of time, but I need to make more money. How do I do it? Did that level of curiosity start happening or did something spark it along the way? So I actually felt the opposite of that. I started to then feel scarcity because I'd Mm -hmm. never made this amount of money before in my life. Like I wish I would have took it like that to like – I was like on this – Maybe the third gear, I couldn't kick it into fourth and I definitely couldn't push it into fifth. So I was just like, then I'm like, I got to hold on tight to everything I have because I can potentially lose it. And again, the culture at work also really didn't help because two weeks before I started my job, my, the boss that hired me got fired on my first day, the person, a colleague got fired. And so I, I watched so many people get fired that then I was fearful of losing my job, especially because I was working in a new space. I was working in operations and I came from marketing and publicity. So it was requiring a different part of my brain that I never really exercised before. Um, And eventually what I feared happened, which was I got let go. Right. And so, yeah. And I, and I just want to reiterate, we're going through this transition in the United States where so many people started new jobs just in the past year and so many have been let go just in the recent months and will continue to let go. So I definitely would love for you to touch on, in in retrospect, what would you do different or what did you do in order to, okay, I'm not going to be stuck in that, I don't know, in that deep emotion that it's super valid. But how do I get out of that hole? Yeah, I love this question. I'm so glad we're diving into this because this is so important. Here's what I think everyone needs to understand is that these times, recessions, are the absolute most valuable times in existence. Listen to what I'm saying. This is an opportunity in so many ways. And in the biggest opportunity you have is to dig deep and identify who you are, what you're capable of, and like start 
like start digging for yourself, start looking for yourself, start finding your inner strength. Because all of us, every single one of us, we have a personal power. We have the ability to come up with an idea. We have the ability to come up with my uh, concepts. And we can either manifest those concepts into something real, like this podcast for you, Jose. Echale yeah. was a concept and now it's actually manifested in fruition. We all have these concepts and either you take your ideas that like soul, the universe, God, whomever you believe in, you know, la virgencita, whatever it is that gives you and you execute them based on direction from a higher power or you stop yourself based on fear. And what happens during a time of uh, restriction, like a recession, is that out of necessity, We'll let go of the fear because it's time to feed the family because you got to do whatever it is you have to do. And so, so much creative energy happens during this time. And it's not just me talking and saying this. This is actually documented. There was a, um economist in the 1930s that coined the term where we actually become more creative in desperate mm -hmm. times. So, for example, in the 2008 recession, Bitcoin was born. A whole new asset class in the way to tend to money was born. So I really want to encourage anyone that's going through a hard time in this way to really look inward and trust your intuitive guide, trust yourself to pull yourself out of this space. Yeah. What about for the people who are currently at their job, but they're walking on eggshells? They don't know if they could be next. They're literally hustling, doing their best. They're Kobe's in their work field. Mm -hmm. But the unknown, how do they tap into their creative mindset when they're worrying about all this noise that's going on in the world. Yeah, I think yeah. this is an important process of really trusting the journey of life, like completely surrendering to the journey of life. And I understand that that is so much easier said than done. But I think a lot of the times when we're in fear of getting let go, there's this feeling of like we're going to lose everything. And honestly, everything you've experienced till now is a jump off point and it's a powerful jump off point. And I think that we spend so much time in fear and worry and many times it doesn't even manifest. Many times the worst idea in our brain doesn't conceptualize, or many times in some cases it can conceptualize and it always ends up being the best thing that ever happened to you. Like yeah. I really feared losing Netflix. I, I, when I left, I felt like I was distraught. Like my ego was gone. Who am I without Netflix? I was so attached. My ego was so attached to that job and that position in Hollywood and what came with all of the perks that came with that. I was one of the second Latina to be hired by that company. It was a big deal. I mm. had a lot of what quote unquote friends that no were no longer my friends after I lost the job. So I, I really understood that, but thank God that happened. Thank God yeah. that I got let go because it really helped me discover my personal power and the idea that I have concepts that I can manifest and I can turn into a million dollars. And Yeah, so let's talk yeah. about those million dollars because you are a self-made millionaire and you turned $200 into $7,000. And I want to take the people on a little process of uh, those $7,000 were made after you left Netflix or prior to Netflix. And what motivated you to like, okay, well, let's 
transform it and see what happens. Yeah, so I want to be um, really clear on this. I think it's really important to understand the system, the money system that we currently reside in. It is such an important concept. So before I get into this, I want us to really process that 15% of Americans are directly investing into the stock market. I am not talking about having exposure in the stock market via your 401k or via a Roth. I am talking about being a direct shareholder where you actually bought shares into a company. Only 15% of Americans practice this. Now, the top 1%, the richest people in this country, own almost 90% of all of the shares. Wow. (laughs) And so, yeah. And I, I want us to understand that the richest people find it extremely important to participate in the stock market. A lot of the concepts that we know about building wealth consists only of real estate. And real estate is powerful. There's three ways of making money in this country. One of them is real estate. The second way is becoming an entrepreneur, betting on investing in yourself and in your dreams and in your ideas. And the third way is investing in the stock market. And for many of us, we're much more comfortable with the idea of real estate. But what we don't fully grasp is that your first house is a liability. It doesn't even become a moneymaker until you're actually renting out your property or bringing in income from the property. So um, there's other ways to also make money, and I think we should be diversified, and I think we should be exploring all of those is what I want to say for starters. I had a colleague at Netflix, a white guy, who was so gracious to constantly educate me on investing in stock at Netflix, and he explained that I you know, that I was working for the company and this should be something that should be standard. He was actually pretty shocked, I think, at my level of, uh, like, not understanding. And I think he also, ignorance, yes. And then I think he also really picked up on my, um, like, how I felt insecure over the topic. So I think he was really gracious in like showing me his portfolio, which is something that I do with my community. Like it's a page I took from him because him showing me his portfolio and the growth of his portfolio really helped me understand, okay, there's really something here that I need to pay attention to. So it took him about six months um, or a little less to convince me to to start investing. And then I finally did. I started with $200 a month. And then after the year, I I want to say I, I have this all documented. I like to document it because sometimes numbers can get convoluted. But I want to say that the stock went to like 14, like my investment went from 7,000 to like 14,000. It just jumped. Wow. It doubled. It doubled in one year. I'm not going to quote, don't quote me on the numbers, but what I remember is that it doubled in one year. And I remember thinking, whoa, is it, I can't believe it is possible to make this much money without having to exchange my time or energy Mm. and that money can just multiply itself in this way. I couldn't believe the increase. 
Um, and then at that point, I doubled down. I went in for 400 a month, which was a hard pill to swallow because at 400, now I'm calculating it as like a car payment. You yeah. know, I'm like adding adding the things up and it was much more of an emotional ride for me at that point. Also, what's important to note is that on that second year when I'm putting in 400 a month, the stock market opens the year in January at $50 and it closes the year in January at $50. So I didn't see an increase at all, which was an incredible learning experience for me yeah. because it makes me, you get humbled you understand patience. I started to really become a student of the process. And then, um, you know, then I was there for six more months. I invested $400 more. So it was a total of around $9,000 that was invested. When and then, you, uh-huh, go ahead. Sorry. And then, no, it's, it's, it's all good. And then I got let go. Oh, that's when you got let go. Yeah. I got let go and I was there for 75% longer than the colleagues I started with. Just so just to give you an idea of how many people I watched get let go. Um, And two weeks after that, my partner gets laid off from his job. Oh my gosh. You already had your son at this point. No, no. I don't even know he's a twinkle yet. I don't even know. We were trying. We were trying. And then two months after that, or I'm sorry, two weeks. Sorry. So it was I get let go two weeks after that. My partner gets let go. Two weeks after that, I'm craving potato salad and chocolate covered donuts. (laughs) Oh, we know where this is going. And we find out that, yeah, what we were working towards is now here. Yes. And so again, um, yeah, we're, I'm like, I'm finding myself, Jose, in a space of so much fear and so much scarcity that it's reminding me of my first pregnancy. Mm. Where like, what are we going to do? You know, now what? Like, we're about to lose everything. We had an apartment in Beverly Hills, which sounds a lot more glamorous than what it was. It was an old 1920s apartment um, that was $1,200 a month. But nonetheless, it was in Beverly Hills. And we were thinking, like, a week before I got let go, my sister was like, I know you guys are saving for a house. Why don't you come and live with us for a little while? they have a house in Gardena until you guys get on your feet. And I was like, "Mm, nah, we ain't doing that fam. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I'm like, sister, (laughs) Ah, we're going to go with you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which was a lifesaver. We just like, I immediately refinanced my car. I took all of the steps possible, but I had been diligently understanding the stock market throughout that entire process. I was becoming familiar and much more comfortable in the space. And I understood one thing, and that is no matter what a crisis may look like, do not sell the stock. I was because, going to say. Yeah, do not sell this. And believe me, I was tempted. But I thought to myself, no, this is a time find money in other ways, be resourceful, 
like make do with what you have. And that's exactly what we did. And we, I told my partner from the beginning, this money is going to buy us a house. This money is for the intention that we set and we need to be disciplined no matter how hard things may get. Like that's what we're going to do. And we watched that investment turn into half a million dollars. And simultaneously we watched like my business bring in close to, uh, from the time we started in 2020 to now, we've made a million in revenue. Um, wow. That's beautiful to know. And then with these investments that you had, and just to get like a clearer picture, did you have them all in uh, companies that paid out dividends? Were you dependent on dividends or were these all growth stocks? So like Netflix, Amazon, that allowed you to double your investment? Because a lot of people are sometimes like, well, okay, well, where do I invest in? How do I know if this company is uh, like worth it? I don't even know how to read a balance sheet or a financial statement where you're like, where, where do I start? Yeah, it is extremely overwhelming. And I, for me to answer your question, I prefer technology, the technology sector for several reasons. The first one is because that's where my background is, like working at Netflix and understanding technology, understanding um, like how tech companies raise capital, understanding disruption first and foremost. Like I really understood disruption from within at Netflix which is not that hard to understand when you're without. But when you have someone with no no knowledge, teen mom, gang member, like all the things, it's like I was going to school, you know, in these spaces and learning things. I'm self-taught now and I can look and observe from the outside and um, obtain acquire a lot of knowledge that I don't necessarily need to be within a company. But for me, it is definitely growth stocks. That is where I like to invest. Most of my money was made via Netflix and also via Tesla. Um, yeah. yeah. And of course, I have like Apple. I hold Apple as well. But Apple for me is more just like I look at it as a safe stock, not necessarily mm -hmm. disruptive anymore. Um, at all. I just see it more as like something to, that's much more safe to, to keep your money in. Um, but yeah, growth is where I like to. And I do have some speculation stocks that I think can come later on in your investing uh, you know, mm -hmm. journey. Um, and it shouldn't be more than 1% if you're doing speculation. It should definitely not be more than 1%. And you shouldn't, I would say, give yourself five years before you even start to speculate. But to like, I, I want to bring this back home. And I want for folks to understand that it took so many years for me to understand the stock market and that I was reading books from white men that were not mm -hmm. speaking to me, not even a little bit. In every sentence, there were at least five words I needed to Google. It was a really long process. I dedicated so many hours. And that is why I wrote my book, Wealth Warrior. That's why I created my courses, because I have taken everything I have learned from my perspective, from a child of immigrants perspective, and I have put that in a format that is going to be a really powerful resource, I think, for our community. Yeah. So what the inspiration 
I, I, this isn't your first book. Let's go ahead and be clear, because this is technically your second book. The first book that I remember you did with your daughter, uh, your eldest daughter, and it's a children's book, which I found inspiring that I gave to my niece. And it's a coloring book that basically just already allows children to become familiar with these words like a stock market, a bear market. You're coloring in a bear, you're coloring in a bull, but at least they're familiarizing themselves with this. Now this is like, all right, the adult version, let's bring it home. What can we find in Wealth Warrior? A yes. connection to our community, but what else? What, what was missing from all these books? Yeah, you know, what was missing was very basic level, easy, simple, digestible conversation. Nothing mm. that is too over your head. The book has a glossary at the back of the book so you can reference the words and there's a further explanation to, to what we're describing, although most of the explanations are within the book itself. And then it also has <clears throat> a story that's connected to the book. So out throughout all of the chapters, you're going to find my personal story, my scarcity mindset that is tied through overcoming the experience that is tied throughout the entire book. So that is so that it keeps you from, you know, feeling overwhelmed um, mm -hmm. or bored because sometimes the stock market, you know, that that stuff yeah. can seem boring. So it's it's a book that's going to keep you entertained and it's going to give you the very basics of the stock market to get you started and understanding why it's important for us to participate in purchasing shares in publicly traded companies. So right now that you're talking about how your book is going to obviously educate about financial literacy, but it's also going to have a little bit of storytelling, especially your story. It's almost kind of reminding me of one of my favorite financial books, which is Robert Kawasaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I'm not sure if that is a familiar feeling for you, if you took some inspiration or what, in, what was your inspiration? Like, did you take from other books? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on. I hadn't even made that connection till you said that right now. I think that's what made that book so endearing and so popular is like hearing his story and hearing his about his rich dad and his poor dad and, and wishing you had wishing we had a rich yeah. dad. Right. And like adopting his rich dad. Um, I love that that you made that connection. So what's really interesting about Wealth Warrior is that I created a course called Wealth Rules Everything Around Me, and I had been diligently working on the course with every time I gave the course. So I was doing the course live twice a month for months. I did it for a couple of years. Um, but then I had a uh, book agent and a publisher uh, sneak in on my courses, I guess, because they were watching the course sell out. And I guess they wanted to see what the fuss was about. And um, they approached me and said, we think you have a book. Is this something yeah. that you've thought about? And when I when we started this conversation, I told you I always knew I was going to make it. And I even always knew that I was going to have a book. And when I was in college, I recreated my signature <laughs> oh that is interesting i feel like you actually were practicing a whole new signature because you wanted to do a book signing in the future yes yes wow. sorry i'm getting emotional but um and the first time i signed the signature was at jack in the box with a 
credit card to buy 99 cent tacos. Um, and I remember feeling ashamed that I didn't have 99 cents to man, those tacos pulled me through, yo. Those tacos. I don't care what anybody says about Jack in the Box tacos, but they they, ha- they held me down through yeah. my teens as a mom and, you know, into my early adult life. And they've held me down several. I have several 99 cent Jack in the Box taco stories, but that signing that receipt, I remember thinking, being angry and yet thinking like one day this signature is going to mean something and it's not just going to be purchasing 99 cent tacos on credit. <laughs> yeah, I I love that. Thank you so much. And it, it really, I, I identify because at one point in my life when I was very shy and uh, not really confident. I also decided to take it upon myself to try to change my signature because it was very much my dad has the same first and last name, Jose Quintero. So I always try to mimic his signature. But then when I try to find my own way, because I, I too always said, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be working in entertainment. I'm going to be working in radio. I'm going to be going to um, like some famous person's house and there's going to be famous people there. And we're all going to be chilling, like having a good time. And now that I'm doing that, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, my God, like, God, you are so good, Jose. You knew this was going to happen. But like there it's definitely taking time and practice. And I, too, when I first signed my first like autograph, it was so weird. I was like, what is this? But uh, I'm so glad that this is the beginning for both of us. I did have uh, just a couple more thoughts. Why do we always have this feeling of being behind as Latinos, regardless of where we are in our financial journey, because I'm sure you, you know, like, oh, my God, I could have started this course sooner. I could have done this sooner. Like I'm behind. So you're you started seven years ago. I started two years ago. So why do we feel this way? Ah, you have such good questions, Jose. I love it. This is such a good question. Let me tell you why, because I have a theory behind this. You know how we're taught to be humble? We're taught, no le digas a la gente porque te van a agarrar envidia. Like, Mm. we're taught to, like, pipe down, don't share your wins, like, just keep it humble, and that's, that's the ticket. And I think that that's part of the system that is keeping us suppressed. Like, my niece, when she received the copy of the book, her name is in the de- the dedication I dedicated to children that are very important in my life. And her name is in there. And she's she did this little video. She's like, my tia is a published author and wrote a book on the stock market. And she dedicated it to me. And I thought to myself, like, yo, what? how would my life had been had I had a tia that published a book? I believe yeah. that we are – here's – I'm going to say something that's going to feel a little harsh, but I feel that we're a little behind because we are. Yeah. Because we are in in a sense as a community. You and I are excelling. We're doing incredible things. Like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing at the right time. But as a collective – we are absolutely behind. We don't get to see luxury. Like we're barely now experiencing Bad Bunny, like 
demonstrate mm -hmm. a whole new level of success that we didn't think was possible that JLo owned for centuries. You know what I mean? So we don't have as many examples of us because we're too fucking busy being humble. We're too yeah. busy staying quiet. We're not sharing. We're not transparent. And I think that's why I make it such a big point to share everything I've done because it might be minuscule to the white man, you know, on the other zip code, but to, for us, it's a big deal. And yeah. I don't share to be boastful. I share so that we can see what is possible. And here's everything I did to obtain this go. I want you to go way further than me. That's what I want for you. And I think we're just now awakening to that. And hopefully we're going to get to see, um, you know, our, the next generation be much younger, like doing incredible things. Yeah. And then one of the things that I also wanted to like kind of touch on besides being humble is within our own community, taking advantage of, because if I, it were somebody else right now and they'd say like, Hey, your book is X amount. Oh, you know what? It, you're selling it for this amount. How about I just give you $5, $10? And you mentioned this in the other in the last podcast, and I would love for you to just bring it back again, where you basically said they're not seeing the value in yourself. Like something along those words. I don't know yeah. if you remember. Yeah. Like, why don't you get yeah. discounts, even though it's like, hey, you're not seeing the value in me? Yeah. I think we reflect each other. What I hear when someone says to me that something is overpriced or they don't see the value, I think what they're really letting me know is they don't see the value in themselves and they can't see themselves reflected in me. I can't make that my problem. But we also come from like the swap meet mentality, right? Of like haggling and trying to get everything for as low as possible. Like we know that Mexican food is the cheapest. Like it's never high end. We'll never pay. Oh no, it's just tacos. Like I can get those on the street. Like we're always consistently trying to devalue ourselves. And I think that, you know, again, we are awakening to this experience of, I want to make sure that I'm sewing into my community and pay them what they feel they need to be compensated for what they're giving. Um, and mm -hmm. it's important for us to, to hold that line, but it's, I can't make someone else's feelings about how they might feel about what my prices are. I can't make that my problem. I made it my problem for far too long. And the only thing that did for me is keep me down, um, keep me in struggle mode. And now that I'm establishing my value and my worth, I get to become a published author. I get to have my nieces say, my tia is doing X, Y, Z. Like we get to dream bigger. And it's I think what's important to understand, it's like it's making us all better. It's not just for my gain. It's all of our gain. And I think we need to come to terms with that. And then just to wrap things up, what would you say is a financial mistake that everybody makes? And then if you were just starting your financial journey or anybody who's just listening, where would be a good place to start? Yes. So I think the biggest mistake that we make when in our financial journey is fall victim of fear, whether it is the fear of missing out or whether it is the fear of getting out. 
or the fear of getting in. Like there's there's different types of fears and it can hold on to you in different ways. It can keep you from becoming an investor. It can keep you from being invested in the wrong thing for too long. And it can keep you moving in an emotional way. And so I think that it's important to not make decisions based on emotions when it comes to money. That is a really big mistake. We need to learn to disassociate our emotions from money. And we need to understand that money multiplies itself and it's not something that we should fear. It's a power tool. We need to pick it up and we need to use it with the understanding that mistakes will be made. And that's okay. It's part of the process. Money comes and goes. If you make a mistake yeah. and it costs you money, it's part of the, it's, it's, you paid in, in the, in the stock market, we call it market tuition. You paid for your mm-hmm. tuition. It's a school. And what was yeah. the other question? And then where, if somebody was just starting their financial journey, where would be a good place to start? You know, I used to say to this, like, oh, find a financial educator that you resonate with. Um, but I'm going to say start with me. <laughs> start with me. <laughs> Pre-order Wealth Warrior, the book. Um, it's very basic. It's going to speak your language. It's going to give you a basic understanding so that you're not overwhelmed when you come into the space because it is a, it is a completely new language. I go through the entire lingo. We have an incredible Instagram account where we share news in the morning about the stock market. Um, we, we offer courses at different price points for different budgets. I would say start with me. Yeah, I definitely would have to agree with that, Linda. Uh, definitely check her out in her social media. She has two Instagram accounts, her personal, uh, in Lose We Trust. And then, her, uh, oh my gosh, the other one. Um, Lose Warrior. What? Lose Warrior. Lose Warrior. But definitely check both of them out. Pre-order her book. I know I already did via Amazon, but you can also pre-order in Walmart, Amazon, Target, even through her website. So please give us all the spiel, Linda. Where can people find you and where can they pre-order your book? Yes, definitely. So it's really exciting to share. It doesn't go past me that you can order it at Barnes & Noble, Target.com, Amazon.com, Walmart.com. Um, pre-ordering is so important. So if you feel called, I would love to invite you to pre-order. I'm a child of immigrants taking up space as a woman, as a teen mom, you know, just mother in a space that has been dominated by white men. And so us showing up to pre-order is a really, really big deal. So I would really appreciate if you would show up to do that. And then I wanted to share that um, we do have a special, um, an eight-day course coming up soon, shortly after the book is released. It's called the Wealth Warrior Eight-Day Challenge. And Mm. this challenge Uh, You can enter by purchasing three books, one for yourself, and we want to push this idea of giving two books away to friends or family. With the purchase of three books, then you can become part of this challenge where you get to commune with us for eight days, meet other folks that are starting on this journey, and um, kind of fast track you through the book. Yeah. And I just want to reiterate, it is very important that each year you invest in yourself, whether that be a class seminar or a course such as Linda. So definitely check Linda out in her pages. Thank you so much. Wealth Warrior out in April 11th. 
I believe that's where it says it's releasing on my Amazon. So I'm waiting for it. Thank you so much, Linda, once again, for being part of Echale Podcast. Thank you, Jose, for having me. This was awesome. Gracias por escuchar Echale Podcast. If you made it this far, I ask of you one thing. If this podcast made you think, reflect, or enter an existential crisis, then share it with me on social media. Nothing would make me happier than knowing that these stories had a real impact. Nos vemos el próximo martes with more stories and más chisme. This was Echale Podcast.